This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Shane, don't you just hate it when things aren't what you thought they were going to be? That is the luxury of being a go-with-the-flow kind of guy, is you don't know what your expectations are. You just kind of go with the flow and never get excited, never get too high, never get too low, which drives you nuts. But, you know, that's just kind of who I am. But at the same time, Yes, to answer your question, really stinks when you have this expectation and you think you know what's going to happen and it doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go. My husband has a mantra for this, better living through lower expectations. You know, I just got back from a three-day weekend. I went to what we thought was going to be Cancun for the weekend with some friends and ended up about two hours from Cancun at a party resort. Party, 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 party. And, and you know, I'm just not a party kind of girl. I'm a little more mellow. I'm a little more read a book. And we made the best of it. We had a good time. We enjoyed our friends. But the weekend definitely wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Our room was a swim-up room, which was right across from the giant pool bar where they were having foam parties and DJs and girls dancing in bikinis that actually work for their resort. I didn't even know that they did that. They were like dancing to 70s music in their bikinis around the bar. It was party. Okay, so they're like fixtures of the resort. Yes. Like, like these are employees of the resort doing the dancing. Like, I didn't know that. I didn't either. I am a sheltered guy. I have figured that out. I am obviously a sheltered guy. I don't know things like that exist. There's usually dancers that are in the entertainment, but I'd never seen anything like having dancing girls just around the bar. I like the way you put that. Dancers that are in entertainment. Most of my things that I expect generally happens around discussion, something constructive like construction or remodel or something that I have in mind and I I forget the details. Like I don't pay attention to the details because I'm like, yeah, they got that. And then they finish it. And then I look at it and go, that's not at all what I thought was going to happen here. But okay, here we are. And my problem with that is that I have a really hard time getting upset around something not turning out the way I thought it was going to turn out because I didn't give the detail instruction about what should happen. I basically said, yeah, we need to repair this wall and add a wall here and put some lights up. That would be my general instruction to the contractor. Our listeners could not see the look of horror on my face when you just said, just put some lights up. Just put some lights up, right? And then you figure out there's a million gazillion types of lighting and I get totally overwhelmed by that so I just check out which is why I'm married to an individual who pays really really close attention to detail that's my issue with things not turning out the way you thought it was going to turn out is because people are not looking into my thought at that point they don't have access to my brain and I think they should you know I think they should just know what I'm thinking and I think at the end of the day that's how we should operate just understand my brain and we'll be fine so how fun would this be if that was my superpower That would be fun because then we wouldn't have to worry about miscommunication and exactly what I was thinking would be 
there it is. So this happens in our businesses too. Yes, it does. Happens a lot, especially in the agency business. It happens around producers wanting to be agency owners. And you've even made the comments in the past, you know, I'm tired of making money for this guy. They're playing golf all day or they're doing this. And we have this expectation about what business ownership looks like in our mind because maybe we have this example, but we may not know everything about that person's life. We may not know that their hobby is golf and they leave at three and they go play golf. But what you don't know is that they may come back and work some more at nine o'clock that night. Or they may spend the weekends working that you don't know about as if you're a producer. And so what happens is we get this visual of what our expectation is for business ownership based on examples that we've seen throughout our life. And we just assume that that's easy, that it's really easy to own a business or it's really easy to operate anything for that matter, not just an independent agency, but any business for that matter. Then we get into it and we're like, oh, wow this is really hard. This is different than I thought it was going to be. And that's where the struggle can start. You know, the first question that I always ask someone when they tell me they're ready to start a business is, do you know what a 940 and a 941 is? Usually no, because people have no idea what it takes to start a business, what to have employees. And I think that until you've done enough research that you even know what a 940 and a 941 is, you're not ready. You could say another dozen things that would fit into that category. There's an excellent book out there that I always kind of lean on and reference. And I think it's a good book for agencies that are already established that are trying to figure out how to grow or move to the next stage of their agency life cycle. And that is the E-Myth. The E-Myth stands for entrepreneurial myth. And it's this idea that as a technician or as a, a worker, an employee, manager of a business that when we set out into our own thing and we jump off into our own business, that we tend to do the same thing and create a job for ourselves. That's the typical path or result of most new agency owners or new business owners, for that matter, any industry, is they leave their job and they start a business and they structure their business that sends them right back into a job, which is not why you started the business in the first place. You started the business in the first place because you're trying to get away from the quote unquote job environment, but now you've started this new business and you've circled your way right back to that point. So many people use that term entrepreneur. It's kind of like the term bougie. Like it does not mean what people think that it means. I know what bougie means. Fancy, luxurious, right? Um, over the top. That's my understanding of the definition of bougie. Yes, and that's the definition that everyone uses. But what's so interesting about that is that it comes from the term bourgeoisie, which is French for middle class. And it was a term that was created when the upper class royalty and there was the upper class, there was the lower class. And then somewhere right before the revolution, this middle class started being created and they called it the bourgeoisie. And it was actually putting people down and it was the antithesis of the word bougie that we use. 
See, and I thought it was created a couple of years ago by the Kardashians. So, you know, I didn't know it was French or I didn't know it was created in aristocratic history here. So learn my thing for the day. So when we talk about being an entrepreneur, most people think that just means that you're a person that's starting a business or a person that owns your own business, where really the definition of an entrepreneur is that you're starting a business, but taking on a much greater than normal financial risk in order to do so. So being an entrepreneur isn't always really a great goal because when you're starting a business, I think it's better to be in a place where the risk isn't nearly so high. Obviously, a lot of the motivation that comes from I'm going to start my own business is generally around I want more freedom. I want more potential for earnings. And in a lot of cases, neither of those things come to realization. Actually, if you do it in a wrong way, you can become a slave to that business and have less freedom. We have plenty of examples across the landscape of of the economy, of the insurance industry, of various industries, of folks that are making less money as owners than they could be making as an employee or some type of executive at a different company. And so there is this myth, that's why it's the e-myth, that there's a silver bullet, that it's this magic pill kind of mindset that if I start a business, if I break out on my own, then this is the result I'm automatically going to have. And I think we have to fill in the blank here with, yes, we want to encourage the spirit of you making that leap and making that jump, because obviously that's something that we think is important. We are behind that effort and we want you to do that. But we also want you to be aware that making the leap is just the first step. You have to do it the correct way. You have to think about how you set it up and how you build your business is going to give you that end result, not just the act of saying, I'm going to start my own business. Starting your own business doesn't automatically give you freedom or increased earnings. But that's what the multi-level marketing people tell us. That's what they tell you because the first three people that got in are gazillionaires and everybody below them aren't making anything. It is a tragedy in that people see and have the MLM strategy out there that can taint the visual and taint the result here. That said, I know a lot of really successful independent agencies and the independent agency system is as good as it gets, in my opinion, on catering to this concept, catering to this entrepreneurial spirit and saying, yes, make the leap. You can do it. Because there are best practices, there are examples, there are support systems available to you to help you be successful. And so I think we have the best of both worlds. I think we have this entrepreneurial pathway in the independent agency system that gives this opportunity that is painted, start your own business, have more freedom, start your own business, make more money. I think we have an industry and a channel within an industry that says, yeah, you can do that and realize it and actually accomplish. It's not a myth. It's actually something that you can do. So when I first came on board, you were in the process of creating a organizational chart. And I think you worked on an organizational chart for about a year, doing it by position, then doing it by people, and then going back and redoing it and redoing it. And that's one of the things that the book, The E-Myth, really focuses on. It talks about setting up your business the way you ultimately want it to look like. That way you're not creating a J-O-B for yourself. So tell me why you think that org chart is so important and 
What was our ultimate outcome from that? Org charts are one of the most difficult things to get right. I have spent hours on org, org charts over the years, days, hours that turned into days that turned into weeks, etc. And in my opinion, the best approach to an org chart does have a lot of influence in my life from the book, The E-Myth. And that is, what is your end result? What is your best guess goal of your end result? What does that org chart look like? As you start laying that out, and if it's just you and there's no employees, who do you put in those boxes? What do you do? Well, guess what? You go in all those boxes. But if you map that out and you say president and then you go down and then you have marketing and you have sales and you have operations and whatever pathway you go, and you start laying out that org chart, the number one mistake that most people make is they try to put names of people in those boxes. And don't do that. The E-Myth book will tell you don't do that. Put the position, put the job description in those boxes. And then once you've got all of that laid out, then you can go back through and fill in the names of the people. And it's gonna be depressing because day one, you're gonna put your name in all those boxes. Then as you go, and as you start building out your organization, as you start growing your business, it may be six months, it may be a year later, guess what? It's time for that first hire. Whenever that time comes, and you're gonna look at those boxes. What is my need? What do I love doing? Where does my name need to stay? And where does someone else's name need to replace me. And then it's just this mechanism over time of replacing yourself in as many of those boxes as you can afford to do and stay profitable and give yourself that ultimate goal, which was more freedom and more earning power. Sometimes people don't think about that and they they just start, what do I need an org chart for? It's all me anyway. What does it matter? It matters because you don't want to be in all of those roles forever. Sometimes when you're putting it down in your org chart, you realize things you're leaving out. That's right. And also, the other thing that you want to do is you want to look as you build out that org chart and you leave the names out and you do it in the beginning is you start realizing what you don't need to do. I'm a big advocate of creating a stop doing list. You're trying to figure out how to be better at time management. When you're trying to figure out how to stop being as busy as you are, you need to create a list of things that you need to stop doing. As you have that org chart with no people in it, and you create all of this position and all of these needs that you think the organization needs to look like five years from now, three years from now, 10 years from now, whatever, and you go, that's what my future looks like. It also helps to look and update it as you go along. And what you will eventually find out is some of that initial org chart is going to get deleted because you're going to go, I don't need that. That's what somebody else had. That's what that agency had. That's not me. That's not who I am. I don't know why they have that position, but they do. I need this other position. And so that's a guide that's going to help you along the way. What about trying to fill it with free labor with family members? I see this a lot. Oh, my wife can do that. I can get my teenager to do marketing and social media for me because they know all about that TikTok stuff. I'm not going to blast or say don't go down the path of that free labor if it's certain technology. Because TikTok, there's a lot I'm learning in watching my teenagers through the years do this. And so there's something there. And I'm familiar with some agencies who have done some things and introduced their kids to the business through the utilization of social media. Now, stop 
stopping at that point and saying, yeah, but I'm not going to turn my 17-year-old into my marketing director. No, I'm not going to do that. We have to be really careful here of why are we doing this? Are we doing it because they're free? Are we doing it because, because free is, we know, is not always best. And sometimes you get what you pay for. Is it a passion of theirs? Does your spouse really want to get out of their job and join you in the business? Do they love the business? Or are they doing this because they have to? I am very lucky. My spouse, my wife, did not raise her hand initially and say, I want to be the accounting manager of an independent insurance agency. That was not what she graduated Texas A&M and said, that's what I'm going to do. It was a time of life decision for her to leave corporate world and join the agency in a part-time role at the time to become our bookkeeper. And it was a decision we made to say, well, that'll give me more time with the kids. That'll get me out of that rat race. But that's when it worked. There was a skill set there. There was a financial skill set, an accounting skill set that she had spent five years in publicly traded company. She was in a couple of different departments there. Her skill set to do the work that was necessary is something that we were very fortunate about. We do this together. It's a little different. It's because there was this opportunity to look at it and go, yeah, but if I do this, instead of going back to that corporate job, then I'm going to get this work-life balance with my kids. I'm going to be able to be semi-stay-at-home mom, which was a desire of hers. And it just sort of worked out. Now, if you have that, I'm an advocate for that. But free labor because it's free? No. I'm not a huge advocate of that. And talking about, you know, having the the kid from church or, or your teenager doing your marketing and your social media. Yes, they are usually fantastic at using it on a personal level. However, they don't understand the concepts of target demographics. I've seen with partner agents that have decided to go with the teenager from church because they wanted to give them an opportunity. And then the things that were posted were so far away from things that needed to be put on a professional site that did not represent their brand and it definitely didn't hit their target demographic of who they were trying to reach. The reality of that is they're coming from their point of view. They have no idea who the buying insurance public is. They don't understand, especially if you are following what we preach a lot about who is the buyer, who is the decision maker in the household and standard preferred personal insurance. There's going to be some things that that individual might post that's funny in their eyes, that's not funny to a 34-year-old mom. It may not resonate as well to them as that 17-year-old thought it would because it was funny to that undeveloped brain. That's the interesting part about being a girl dad is I'm around a lot of teenage boys <laughs> over the years. And you you get to recognize that, okay, yeah, no, their brain's not developed yet. They need a little more work. And so the thought of turning your business over to them to build a brand, I don't even understand where that comes from. I don't even know how you go there, but we know it happens and we know that cheap labor is attractive or free labor is attractive. And I think one of the things that 
you have to remember when starting a business or growing a business is legacy. And so many of us get so wrapped up in the day-to-day, we forget to look at the big picture of what we're creating. Creating beyond a job. What do you want your legacy to be a fat bank account? Do you want your legacy to be time with your children? What do you want that to be? And then you structure your business around creating that. Building a business, building that asset, if you are a business owner, you take that step, you're now in a different segment of the population. Most of the population's largest asset is their home. When you step out into that entrepreneurial world, when you say, I'm going to become a business owner, you're now stepping into a different group where you're hopeful that your largest asset is going to be your business. It is your retirement. It is your mechanism for not only just feeding your family, but doing so much more from a financial standpoint. And that takes time. You may be able to sit here and go, well, I can work this job. And you may be in a position as a producer where you are a really successful producer and you're making a really, really above average income and stepping out into agency ownership may prevent you from making that income for the first couple of years. You may not be able to do the same thing from an income standpoint. However, if you think long-term, if you're thinking about the infinite game mindset and you're thinking about building an asset, different mindset, different approach here, and you can see that, yeah, I may give up some short-term income, that I'm going to get back if I'm successful. I can get that income back down the road, but I'm also along the way, I'm building what will become the largest asset in my portfolio of assets, um, which would include my home. I think so many new business owners truly believe they're going to turn a profit way sooner than they do. Thinking about how that creates stress on a marriage is one of those things you really need to think about. Because if you're the primary breadwinner and all of a sudden that steady income is down to nothing, you know that's one of those things you need to not only be looking at, are you financially able to get by for at least two years? You need to make sure that your partnership is in a place that it can handle this kind of stress for two years. That is one of the misconceived notions about starting an agency is you're going to be able to take all of that production right away and turn it into income for yourself. And it's just not a reality. You've got to be willing to reinvest in your business, invest back in your business, prepare for that first employee. If you want to replace yourself, if you want to create this true ownership environment, then yes, you're going to forego some early income in the starting of your business. Now, if your intent is to be more of a practitioner and you want to really be a soloist, I don't have a problem with that. There are a lot of really successful soloists making really strong incomes, building an asset, the book of business, using tools like virtual assistants, really strong automation, but also they're very good at being very hands-on with the business they do. That is okay. I want to be clear that that is okay. But if your goal is to be more of a business owner, not necessarily an operator, more of an owner, not the one doing the quoting, not the one writing the business, but actually managing the people doing that business, then you're going to forego some things at some point. Because the biggest problem I see is when that person says, I'm going to do all this myself, and they're going to sort of be this soloist. And then they're going to use that income for standard of living that they've built. Let's say they're generating 
$200,000 a year worth of revenue after expenses by being a soloist. And if they're using $200,000, spending $200,000 a year, then they never feel like, how can I ever afford to hire somebody? Well, that's crazy. You can afford to hire somebody. What you can afford to do is live at a standard of living of $200,000 a year and hire somebody. But if that's what you set up, if that's how you go into this, instead of I'm going to live on eighty dollars or $100,000 a year, which is extremely, extremely good, and you're going to do that for a little while, well, now you've got capacity of revenue to actually hire help. What I see happening around this whole concept is you start out with, I want to be a soloist. You get into it. You spend what you make. You have a lifestyle of X that's a little higher. And then you decide, wait a minute, I don't want to do it this way. I want to actually manage people. I want to actually hire people to replace me. But you don't want to give up that standard of living. Well, you're trying to cheat the system. That's going to be really difficult to do because then you're going to say, well, I got to grow a little bit more. And so you decided I'm at $2 million in premium, doing this by myself. It's comfortable. I'm very automated. I got to get to $3 million so I can hire somebody. And now you're in this never-ending cycle because you're going to be making 250 and you're going to spend 250 if that's your mindset. And if you're doing that and you're not recognizing that I've got to create some different standard of living for myself, I've got to do something here and create this capacity to pay for these people that I want to replace myself with and take that difficult step of going, yeah, I don't need to be on $200,000 a year income. I need to be on 120 or I need to be on 100 and I need to figure it out from there. The people that start out with, I'm going to build an organization. I'm going to build this out and I'm going to replace myself as soon as I can. actually have an easier time because they're not taking that 200 a year because they don't have it. They're having to pay those people earlier. There's a decision process that you have to go through and you have to recognize there's a reality that you have to kind of come to grips with of what do you want? How do you want this thing to look? Start with what you want. It's okay to be a soloist, but understand that if you ever think you want people, if you ever think you want to replace yourself, then create an org chart with positions or job functions. Start out with yourself and then replace yourself along the way. And keep in mind, that if you want to run a business, if you want to own a business, you're building an asset, you may have to give up some income to do that, to pay for those people along the way. I'm going to leave us with this from Muhammad Ali. Live every day as if it were your last because someday you're going to be right. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at iaforward.com.